The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Stop. Hello and welcome to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. So it's great to be back. And I'm joined by Leo. Hi. Good uh, Emma's on holiday, so unfortunately she's not here. So she's going to be devastated to miss our special guest tonight, which she is already Richard is. Rofe. Hello. Hi, Rich. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. On tonight's show, we've got a few different topics we want to talk about. I'm just going to give a really brief intro into how this came about known Rich on and off for a few years and you've actually been working with Leo recently but you're a filmmaker you're an activist and kind of eco-warrior can I say that? That uh, my Skype username was Eco Bad Boy for a while. <laughs> You're so an Eco Bad Boy. Bad Boys and Warriors are quite similar, so <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. accept that. Depends who's reporting the story. Yeah, so we've got a few interests in common, and we've been chatting on and off for quite a while about a lot of the stuff that you work on, based around campaigning, what inspires people, and how they get involved. And it just struck me that it'd be a great uh, show to have you on to talk about some of that a little bit more. We started off with a track, and that was the Pixies' "Where Is My Mind." That was your choice. Can you tell us why you chose? Yeah, so that um, track would be, people would remember it's from the end of Fight Club. Mm -hmm. And when I was 16 years old, I was kind of obsessed with like Bista Village Shopping Centre and having Ralph Lauren. <laughs> like all eco bad boys. Like all eco bad boys <laughs> at some point in their lives go through that phase. But I was very much like conforming and very much into, I guess, like consumerism and fashion as a thing that I was really into. And then I think a lot of things changed. A lot of things changed at that point in my life. But I watched that film about ten times, and I was like, "This is all rubbish. We need to smash the system." And that's when I started to get more political. So that film always has like a special place in my heart, and that song always reminds me of it. So just so that everyone knows, this isn't Desert Island Discs, but <laughs> that was a good start to the program. Loads of things have been raised by that, especially the eco bad boy Monica. But before we get into that, we always start with the gripe of the week. So. Does anyone have a gripe? I do. So I don't know how much people know about how I behave with my iPhone. But <laughs> like for the past three and a half years, my first thing is not really a gripe. It's a mini celebration. But I discovered that my phone had been on divert calls for three and a half years. And I found out that <laughs> this was a very simple switch to turn it off divert calls. And my phone now works. So if you call me, I am now telling you, you don't need to ring me twice for it to go through. If you ring, I will actually pick up. So that's my mini celebration. <laughs> the way I found out about this is because the teaching agency that I work for, they were like, you know that the reason it's doing that is because it's on divert calls. Something that no one had really wanted to tell me before that time. I thought you were always on the phone. Yeah, and <laughs> I think that's what people really assume, busy. that I was really busy. So that would be my mini celebration, but my gripe is actually linked to that because it's also phone related. For years, I've had the Griffin or the Robo Griffin, as some friends call it, which is like a very big 
phone case that protects my iPhone so it looks like new. Well, it did until the other day. I was like, who needs the Robo Griffin? It takes up too much space in my pocket. I'm just going to have a regular iPhone like the rest of the people. And I had that like comfortably for a month and a half and nothing happened to my phone. And then the other day, I was outside Westminster of all places and I dropped it on the floor and now it's all cracked on the bottom. So what I did to follow up with that was pour wood glue over it. But then that just peeled off. So... Now I just have the back of my phone is cracked, like everyone else's iPhone 4. So, so you're having a lot of problems with telecommunication. But also week. a lack of problems, because now mm. it actually works as a phone. But that might be a problem, though. You might start getting calls all the time. Rich, do you have a gripe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, got hundreds of them. <laughs> so for okay, like, no, we've only got 20 minutes. I'll, I'll summarise them in one, though. So like for months, we've had this massive mouse problem. Oh, and so no. they've got into my room now. And so I'll just wake up and just hear like some scratching or hear some squeaking. And I was just about kind of mentally coping with that. And then last night I got home, I was really knackered. And I just saw this like little colony of ants on my bookshelf in my bedroom. <laughs> and it just feels like I'm subject to some sort of biblical plague now. Like <laughs> frogs will be tomorrow and then there'll be a flood. But yeah, my house is basically falling apart. What are the ants eating? Surely they get attracted Dead to mice. sweet things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not sweet. <laughs> um, I think I made the mistake of having some cowpole type stuff. <laughs> cowpole. They're all Everyone hooked on cowpole. cowpole. <laughs> it's yeah. It, I guess they get a kick from it. But yeah, I didn't like properly clean it, so they must have like got into the sticky stuff there. But oh, I hoovered dear. them all up. So unless they find a way to get out of the Hoover, Did I you think change I'm all the right. Bag? I may or may not have changed the bag. <laughs> Well, I wish you the best of luck in sorting that out. I don't <laughs> yeah. really know what to suggest. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, but you're yeah. vegetarian, right? Yeah, yeah, mostly, mostly. How do you deal with with having mice with wanting to kill them? Good question. So our house has chosen a non-killing policy. We, so we've had the chat. In fact, we had a big mouse chat last night. Mm. But if you look up the snap traps, often it won't actually kill the mouse. So they'll just It'll be there. It'll just gently like, break their neck. Or, or their legs. And then they'll just be like screaming oh. on the floor and then you need to come in. And like even if you don't want mice, less than that, I don't want like dead mice being tortured mm. in my kitchen because of me. So I was keeping a pile of books next to my pillow and whenever I would hear lots of mice speaking like rattling about speaking. <laughs> working out how to freak you out next because I, I, my bed is quite high up i would chuck books on the floor to like scare them a little bit that sounds like Ooh. a really viable long-term tactic they started being a bit party to my game and they started being unfazed by my book throwing technique you need to improve your aim, I think. No, I wasn't aiming for the mice. I think they're under my bed. I was I was just aiming to like rattle them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I do that sometimes, pretend to be like a big giant, just like mm. shake things so, up. I mean, you are a big giant compared to a mouse. I mean, actually, if Emma's listening all the way over from Iceland, where she's currently holidaying, they had a mouse problem in her place and they actually dealt with it by getting a cat that doesn't need cat food being bought for it. It just eats mice. It sounds to me like that could be the They're answer to your prayers. But it's a natural I'm, I'm happy with the, the cat killing the mouse. So there's like a trick you can do to catch mice using a pint glass. So you get a pint glass, put it down and put a 10p piece balancing it up with a bit of mm. peanut butter in the middle the mouse comes along hits the 10p piece and it captures it so, so one day we got a mouse in that and our housemate went to take it like a few miles down to the park just let it go within 30 seconds a crow swooped down and like <laughs> killed the mouse <laughs> and so we like completely broke our backs to try and save this mouse and then nature destroyed it 
But that's nature, you know, it's, it's cruel. Mistress. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's your gripe, Catherine? My gripe is that last Saturday I hosted a very intricate and long-winded dinner party catering for a you know, dizzying array of dietary requirements, which I was more than happy to do and I had a great time. But one particular guest, your Um, your vegan celiac lasagna was excellent to my eye. One particular guest was an hour and a half late and arrived just in time for the starter being served up and it kind of messed up my timings, but I was very gracious. That same person had invited me over for brunch on Sunday and I had to, it took me a while to sort of be you know affirmative or not um about attending because I'd been on holiday without my diary and I only keep an analog diary so I had to say I'm not sure when I get back I'll check um my boyfriend had been invited as well and I needed to find out from him been a bit of a hectic week but with four or five days to spare I said hi boyfriend can't come but I can come and I like really looking forward to it. Can I just say that at the space? moment you're a probably. The answer I got back was, I've given your space to someone else. There's no room for you anymore. And I was like, come on. You were an hour and a half late to my dinner party last week. You can't just chuck me out and give it to someone else. Brings up a lot of difficult feelings, doesn't it? I've since received another WhatsApp message saying that it's okay because someone else is bringing an extra chair. I don't know if that's meant to guilt trip me. So the jury's out whether I'm attending. I'm going to put this out to listeners. Is that acceptable behaviour or not? I don't think so. Well, I think, I think being late isn't. Like chairs, you know me, like I'm very happy putting guests on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a brunch, not a dinner party though. So unless mm. you have a very formal brunch with several mm. it's courses. It's a casual occasion. Yeah. yeah, chairs cannot be a good issue. On to our main topic. So Rich, you're a filmmaker and you set up your own company making films, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. How did you get into that? I grew up surrounded by a lot of environmental stuff. So my mum, she went off when she was about 40 to build the first solar panel house in the UK. So she had this idea of solar needs to take over the world and everything will be better because of that so when i was in school everyone kind of knew me as that like slightly weird solar panel kid panel well so my nickname was solar panel boy but my mum kind of used me and my brother to get extra publicity so she once wrote a letter to blue peter saying hey i'm like a couple of small children we live in oxford come and see our house and she only told me and my brother about the letter after blue peter had agreed to come and see our house (laughs) But it did mean we get to go on Blue Peter, and I got two Blue Peter badges from that. Wow. Which was pretty sweet. Yeah, what an eco bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that environmental stuff was always in my head. But then I was also kind of just obsessively watching television and MTV and did like media studies at school. And I kind of wanted to do something that was worthwhile, but also not really dull. And then, yeah, after doing a lot of campaigning at uni, just in whatever job I had, I'd like pick up a video camera or find a way to make a video on the side. And then slowly I did more and more of that and less and less of other campaigns. And then now it's my full-time job. So is it fair to say that you make viral videos? And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make something that's just going to take over the internet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I claim that about myself. Uh, I guess the term viral video is like slit a bit confusing. But basically, I think you can have the best campaigning video in the world. But if it's only seen by 
300 people, it's probably not going to make that much difference. And so I'm really interested in how you do videos for left-wing campaigns and environmental campaigns that are shared tens of thousands of times or hundreds of thousands of times. But I've only made one video that's been seen like way, way, way loads of times, which was one that I did in Paris. So like what kind of numbers are we talking? We're talking 10 million views. What? Oh Wait, my God. is that one of the ones with the footage from me? I don't, I'm afraid you don't get any oh. credit for this one. <laughs> I was for, I was there for like a good surprise. I didn't had no idea about that. Yeah, anyway, that was oh well. um it was one where a bunch of activists went into this like corporate solutions event. Uh, where there no, was that lot... wasn't me. No, oh, you weren't it. there. So the I'd ones say. where I'm they sure dressed up as animals. No, there was oh. a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people during the Paris Climate Talks dressed up as animals and carrots. Yeah. And like raided VW showrooms. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of funny, I think. Mm. Yeah, I quite like those. That's a lot of views. Yeah, so like that was that was the one that's done best. But now I'm kind of making some videos for Greenpeace and making some videos for 38 Degrees. And I think the stuff that I'm quite interested in is how do you do something like that, but just in a really cheap and cheerful way. So a lot of like the big viral videos that we've seen are like massive studio jobs where you've got a creative director and then a director of photography. But actually some of the most interesting video stuff out there, I think, is just some random person who's got like a camera or an iPhone. And that's probably what we should be learning on. Like you just showed me a video of some kid. Yeah. So, well, I was just quite interested in this because I work in the child sector and there are obviously loads of campaigning videos that go around and then also feature films that inspire people like to take action as well. You know, something that's really slick and produced, you can tell it's in-house. You do have a bit of a different response to and I think you can spot really quickly when a lot of money's gone into something and we had this experience. I hope this doesn't offend our comms manager, but we have videos we've made ourselves and really slick ones and then we had What's a video that, sent in <laughs> we had a video sent in made they're by a child they're all great is what she's trying they're to all, say they're all really good but we had a video sent in by a 12 year old child and I really think it's the best thing I've ever seen like genuinely but he got our story and he told it as a child and you know our work is about going to school and educating people to buy solar lights so often as a starting point for a family to do that it's it's so much better for our kids to study with a solar light rather than a kerosene lamp so it's about children in school and there's a child in school saying there are kids who aren't like me who have to use a kerosene lamp and I think this is amazing and this is why I'm fundraising and this is why you should give money to my fundraising page and it was just you know it was a really well made um, video I'm sure he did all of it himself but it was you know it was very <laughs> it was very well made it just it was really emotional for me watching it and when I spoke to his mum on the phone to find out how the whole thing came about he was doing a little fundraising challenge for us you know he did really well he was giving up like electrical things for a week so no phone no tv no laptop and that was his challenge she said to me we wanted him to do it as a project and encouraged him to do it because we want him to grow up and get into his teenage years still feeling like he can change the world and not to be cynical that really interested me because i think that maybe my family or a lot of people that i knew growing up would kind of maybe have almost the opposite thing which is give money to charity and do good work but don't think you can change the world because the world is big bad place and bad stuff happens just to hear someone say you can change the world be inspired to me that's I think, quite I think interesting that 
defeatism. I was very much that type of person. And I grew up with parents who were, well, especially my father, who's very defeatist and he still is. Like I called him off about the Panama Papers. Like, wow, isn't this exciting? All of this great investigative journalism going on. He was like, oh, of course this is happening. We all knew it all along. And I was like, yes, but now we've got proof. Um, But he was very unfazed by it. Whereas for me, like a kind of really exciting moment was not so much realizing that you could make a change, but that people were really inspiring and wanted to make a change was meeting those people and realizing that I got a buzz out of meeting those people. For me, that changed everything that it wasn't about what can you actually achieve what can you what do you want to achieve and what do you like to see in other people's visions which Mm. is a different question and it's a different approach but i think it's also a really interesting time at the moment in the uk and america where for years with like the mainstream political system everyone's like it's basically a very narrow choice between two parties that are getting increasingly closer and then corbyn came along and bernie sanders came mm. along and it's like all yeah but also it's mirrored on the other side that you've got more and more extreme like you have it's, yeah. more, it's just generally more divisive but no one can say things can't change because mm. it seems mm. like we're either going to get some great change depending on your position or things are going to go to shit. And like mm. that's exciting and the apathy seems like it's no longer a credible option. It's, yeah, that people aren't being as apathetic, except for my dad. But he lives in the middle of nowhere in France. His best friends are donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's something in that, like opting out from the world, isn't it? Like a lot of people kind of try and block things out. And I think in the past, I have been a bit guilty about that. And I know that we talked on the show before about things, causes that we feel like, you know, things we feel like we should do, what makes you a good person. For me, things like recycling, I still feel quite guilty about giving up my moon cup usage, stuff like that. And, you know, you kind of just block it out and you go, I've it tried that, it's hard. I'm stopping it and I can't go back there. But like, what I find quite encouraging is that there are lots of um, films going around, some of them like, you know, short ones, some feature length films that actually have like had a huge wave of impact so I'm thinking about things like Mm. Blackfish documentary Varunga as well Mm. you know but like really big impacts like you know massive petitions and they're showing that actually these like PR things can have a momentum that makes a big difference like to me you can see an obvious cause and effect between Blackfish and statements that SeaWorld is putting out saying yeah we're going to phase out breeding prey or whatever it is so to me that's quite a new thing because for a long time there has just been this sense of forests are getting smaller animals are getting poached more and more crises are happening and stuff isn't getting better but I feel now like there are really good examples where things have changed for the positive it's it's like an interesting one when you think about the number of problems that the world has I mean it's always had loads of problems but now we've got ever increasing access to information about those problems Mm. and I just find it completely overwhelming like I don't read the news that much and I feel guilty about that but I've got a bit of selective ignorance and I think with some of these films that come out like Cowspiracy being a good example some of the films spin a story that's basically like hey there are a lot of problems in the world but this problem is the biggest and here's the way to solve it and people love that because they can get their head around it and they're like mm. I know how I can actually do something about a big problem. I found Cowspiracy interesting but also to some degree in its solution a little unconvincing if, yeah. if people haven't heard of it that's a film made by an American filmmaker who goes to interview a lot of environmental NGOs in America mm. about why they aren't tackling the problem of agriculture mm. and like cow 
cows leading to climate change. But if, if you work on any environmental stuff online, as soon as you post up something about climate change, everyone will be like, what about cowspiracy? Why aren't you talking about the, the cows? Who's paying you off? And so it's kind of like very divisive in the environmental oh, movement. interesting. I didn't know that. How do you generally find interacting with your audience? Like, how do you build a video that appeals to people who aren't necessarily your hardcore group of supporters? And I'm thinking of environmental causes because I think for the last like 10, 20, 30 years, generally it's been a really unpopular and quite unfashionable course. And there's a stereotype <laughs> of like a certain type of eco bad boy, like swampy, you know, like the tree hugger, the hippie or the kind of dropout. Like, Someone who doesn't like washing. Squatter mm. type has now is kind of been dispelled and people see it as much more mainstream thing to just, you know, care about the environment, which is like bonkers in itself. But yeah. how do you get people on side? And appeal to those. Well, I, I guess like with any any film or any communication, I think the idea that you can appeal to this general public, if you try and appeal to them, you'll probably end up appealing to no one. But actually, all the groups out there are part of some community. So you might be really into fashion, for example, or you might be really into DIY and building your own bicycles. And so if you're like, all right, actually, I can make a film that will really appeal to people who are bikers and then get a climate change message in there, that could work. So I did a film a few weeks ago with um, 1010 about some guy who'd come up with a cool invention to try and stop people's bikes getting nicked. And you just then send it to like a million cycling blogs or they eventually pick it up and if people are really into that thing they'll be into your story and maybe you put like a good climate change message in it as well do you think that sometimes organizations get very preachy and it puts people off uh it sounds like you do i'm just interested to see whether you kind of try and avoid lecturing people because i i definitely sometimes i feel like a lot of charities and it's not just an environmental thing but it's that guilt trip it's that guilt all the time. And that feeds into wanting to shut yourself off. I'm a bad person for not giving to this cause because it means I don't care. And you can't give to everything. Yeah, and I you can't take part in everything. You can't go to every event. And a lot of people don't have the time and resource to be a full-time activist or campaigner. They just need to like get on with their job and look after their family or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's like organisations and then there's sort of grassroots activists. I think sometimes people who are really into a, into a campaign and really emotionally connected to it and like maybe have seen the suffering that comes from like bad immigration policies or detention centres, they're so passionately connected to it. It seems like the biggest issue in the world. And then you can then see people who are indifferent to that or not doing anything about that as like pretty bad people because it's like this horrific things going on and this person's just more worried about their iPhone being cracked, just to use a random example. <laughs> <laughs> but then like that a lot of people do care about these things but maybe they're not given a way to act on it or maybe they don't feel welcomed by the groups that are taking mm -hmm. action and i just think that everyone is basically broadly a good person but activism draws certain people in and excludes other people partly mm. based on how people look that kind of thing there are certain types of activism like in terms of stunts or PR things that I think work really well and the one example that I really love is Aurora the polar bear because I just think that's a really fun visual interesting way of getting people engaged which is a little bit nicer than like a stunt where you turn up and do like a flash mob for 10 minutes then you're gone and it's in the media but people don't see it do you think it's less aggressive in a way yeah less confrontational I think, yeah I think there can be quite a lot it's of not confrontational I mean if you stunts. work at Shell having a giant automated polar bear outside your office space is quite aggressive <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if well, some of them liked it probably 
<laughs> Do any of you have like an example favourite protest or? I guess so. The 12th of September, I wasn't actually on that protest, but like for the refugee solidarity campaign, it changed everything. And I think that's amazing. Like there are, there are a few protests where you can point to it and say like that was a moment. Whereas the 12th of September, Corbyn, it was the day after, like the same day Corbyn came as head of a Labour leader. And then just huge amounts of people suddenly caring about what was going on in Calais. And that, that was amazing. And the way it was reported was amazing as well. With protests, it seems like much more symbolically powerful and just worthwhile when it's affected groups who are kind of standing up for themselves. So in Paris, there was, for the climate talks in December, there was some really amazing groups of indigenous activists who were going there and they weren't just saying climate change is a problem and you need to sort it out. They were saying our homes are being destroyed. Mm. Or I met like an amazing guy from the Philippines whose best friend was killed by a typhoon. And so when he actually goes out and says climate change needs to stop that's much more powerful than if if i as someone from oxford say that yeah absolutely so we're coming up to the end of the show and we've got a song that you'll already notice that is playing us out i've chosen this because it's the first song (laughs) i only realized this today when i look back on it it's the first song that made me really think about all of the animals that were endangered in the world and being threatened here is michael jackson earth song thanks rich for being great guest thank you so much for coming on me (laughs) 